We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst, and tonight uh, I'll have a chat with Craig Hope, uh, who reports on Newcastle United and North East football, amongst other things for the Daily Mail. Uh, Craig's one of the best football reporters in the North East, and I would advise everyone to give him a follow on Twitter, which we will put in the description of the podcast. Uh, so without further ado, here's my chat with Craig. So Craig, uh, first thing I'll probably ask you is, no wins in five for Newcastle. Are Newcastle in danger of being relegated, in your opinion, this season? Yes. It's a fairly straightforward answer. Of course they are. You've got to, you look at that squad, uh, and Rafa warned at the start of the season, before, sorry, before September the 1st, that it wouldn't be good enough to survive comfortably, or at least compete in the, the top half of the table without significant investment, especially in key areas. And that investment never came, so by virtue of the fact that it, it never came, then there are no relegation fight. Rafa said there would be. He's made reference uh, of that since. And you've just got to look at results. You said there yourself, Alex, no wins in five. Well, teams who, who pick up one point out of 15 are in a relegation scrap. Of course they are. You're just grateful, really, for the points they got. At the start of the season, there was three victories uh, against Stoke, uh, Palace and, and West Ham. And Swansea, of course, away the three victories on the spin there. So you are glad they've got those points in the bag because on current form, this team is 100% in a relegation fight. Uh, you can make the argument now the presence of Rafa Benitez will that be enough to keep them up that is the the, the argument I'm sort of hanging on at the moment that, that Rafa in terms of his organisation his motivation there's a degree of trust there there's a degree of trust we didn't have with Steve McLaren now Steve McLaren had better players and still got them relegated because Steve McLaren was for want of a better word an idiot but Rafa Benitez isn't an idiot he knows what he's doing you've got to trust him you've got to keep that faith for now but yeah, it is worrying, and I think there will be there or thereabouts come the end of the season because there won't be significant investment in January takeover or no takeover. Rafa's already said that. So come May, uh, yeah, there will be there or thereabouts. Let's just hope on that final week of the season they're the right side of the line rather than the wrong side. Pre Burnley and after Palace were sixth. Mm. Do you feel that, I don't know, do you think any of the players maybe bought the hype a little bit about the, because the performances were so after your Burnley? Your Watford, your Man United, do you think maybe there was a little bit of complacency set in, or is it just the way the fixtures have fallen? Well, you know, if you look at the way the fixtures have fallen, well, you can't argue that because they've lost against Bournemouth and they've, they've lost against Watford, so they, 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 they were in difficult fixtures. Uh, they've lost against Burnley, that wasn't a, a difficult match. But the one thing what, what worried me was <coughs> I can accept the Burnley defeat. The Burnley defeat for an hour was everything Newcastle had been during the season until that point. Ugly, horrible, hard to break down, not pretty to watch. But then in the final half hour, whatever it was, the game is decided. It bounces one way or the other, 1-0 win and 1-0 defeat. You can take that because with that, you're going to win one, you're going to lose one, you're going to draw one. Four points out of nine probably does keep you up. 
But the Watford game, I couldn't accept the Watford game because it was so unraffer-like that it was worrying. It was dishevelled. It was it was players looking as if they weren't really putting it in. Players looking as if they didn't really know what they were doing. Uh, no shape, no organisation, no discipline. In that game, they were ev- they, they weren't everything which they had been during the the opening sort of two or three months of the season. So that Watford match for me was a was a huge worry. Uh, they steadied the ship a little bit at West Brom, a little bit. I mean, the, the, the first hour was. Was was it was ugly? Then it was disastrous. All all in one really. And they managed to sort of salvage a point. Uh, Chelsea have almost got to, to write off to a certain degree. Uh, has complacency crept in? I just think a lack of ability really has has, has caught up in the shortcomings in the squad. Which Rafa warned about. It's catching up with them now, and this is why we're we're seeing this awful run, which sort of threatens to to plunge them into the relegation zone quicker than we ever really thought possible after that that victory against Palace. Why do you think you changed things? so dramatically after the Burnley game because like you said the Burnley game it was, mm. wasn't was a great watch but it could have gone either way you know nil-nil probably would have been a fair mm. result and then for Bournemouth he brings Dwight Gale back which mm. people like me delighted for because I really rate Dwight Gale's a good player but we kind of start playing this hybrid 4-4-2 one do you think after that Burnley game he, he himself or himself thought you know what we're just not going to score enough here and if he, if he did think that has it backfired mm. Well, it has, yeah, because he almost lost faith in himself a little bit because we talked to him a lot off the record and up until that Burnley game, the criticism was there. Uh, I think after the Burnley game, I think it was, it was Carragher, was it on Sky, accused him of being boring. Uh, one, one of the pundits said, and when we next saw Rafa, he defended himself against that and he said, listen, guys, I'm working with what I've got. If it's 4-2-3-1 with Perez working hard in between being behind Hossolu and there's nil and after an hour, then so be it, I'm going to stick to that. So I couldn't believe it when he came out against Bournemouth with the, as you call it, the, the hybrid 4-4-2. It was almost as if he'd, he'd listened to the, the, the pundits, he'd listened to the criticism, uh, and he'd listened to a section of supporters who were calling for, for Dwight Gale to be introduced. And I was surprised at the team selection. Now, the first half against Bournemouth was fantastic, and you thought, bloody hell, Rafa, you should have done this from the start of the season. You could have been fifth, never mind sixth. But then it all fell to pieces in the second half, didn't it? I mean, that, that second half performance against Bournemouth was a, a warning. It was a forewarning of what happened against Watford, basically. The, the, the second half against Bournemouth ran into the, the 90 against Watford, really. So I was surprised he changed. I was surprised he went away from what he trusted so much and what had worked. In you say that he done it to chase goals. Well, they scored what was it one goal in, in six hours with the, the two men up front. So so no, it didn't really work, and it did backfire absolutely. We just mentioned that he talks a lot off the record. How has he been in, in this run? Has he changed in, in in terms of the way he speaks to the press or in his demeanour? I imagine he's not going to be delighted or as happy as he was start mm. of the season. But how has he been? Maybe with all the take takeover speculation, do you think it's affected him in the way that he's dealt with the press? Uh, the one thing about Rafa is uh, post matches he changes post match and be a little bit spiky sometimes. He, he very rarely gets elated, uh, but he can be a little bit spiky or a little bit clipped, in which you saw after the, the Chelsea game he was, for example, on Saturday. But come pre match, he's back to his normal self. He's positive. Uh, he's normally got a message to deliver. Uh, he he never gets sort of dragged into little battles with reporters or holds any grudges or anything like that. He's always fair, he's always level-headed. You can see why players trust in him. I like him personally, I, I deal with him what, two or three times a week we sit down with him and see him. Uh, and I like him, I do. I like him a lot. I think, he's a, I think he's a smart man. I can see why players like him, I can see why players respond to him. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, over the past two or three weeks, his mood has got 
he's, for example, to, 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 to give you, to capture it all in one, is the Alexander Mitrovich debate. Now, <laughs> Rafa will tell us on the record, off the record repeatedly, listen, supporters have got to trust me. I see Alexander Mitrovich every day in training. I'm picking him because I see more than you guys do, basically. So every reporter writes Mitrovic must start. Every fan on a radio phone in or on, a, on a, a podcast or on a forum, Mitrovic must start. Why is he playing Hoskin? Mitrovic is better. This has really gotten under Rafa's skin, this, this, uh, this one topic. So uh, he doesn't think Mitrovic is good enough to start ahead of, ahead of Hoslu or Dwight Gill or even Ayoji Perez. So, uh, yeah, he has got prickly over one or two little issues, but still come when it comes to, to previewing a game, he's back to his normal sort of level, uh, level-headed, cool self. Do you think, I mean, certainly everyone listening to this knows that we, we haven't been calling for Alexander Mitrovic to start, but you're mm. right that the, particularly the online Newcastle world, mm. you, know, you know what, even in the away end at West Brom, even on the terraces or the, the seats against Watford, that vocal minority is so vocal about his inclusion. Yeah. Would you would you agree if I were to put you that maybe on Saturday when Mitrovic come on against West Brom, he didn't change the game as some fans or as, mm. as cheerleaders would say, but he was all right. Even I can admit, I didn't rate him. I can admit yeah, against yeah. West Brom, he was all right. He come on, he probably did did what he was asked to do. Saturday, everyone thought he would start. Mm. He didn't, and I suppose he was proved right with Dwight Gill getting the goal, but. He doesn't bring him on in that situation there on Saturday. Is that purely the, the game situation or do you think part of that's a little bit him trying to show fans or get the message across that, like, you know, you know what, I'm in charge here. I don't, I don't suppose it's a, you know, he's, he's in a battle with these people, mm. but even our, even someone who criticises Mitrovic as much as we have in this podcast, even I found it bizarre on Saturday that, that he didn't come on. So is there a little bit of kind of trying to manage the situation creeping into substitutions and team selections? Sometimes a little bit, but then on the flip side of that, he's brought Mitrovic on at times and it surprised me. And it's almost, uh, well, here you go, here's your man, I'm going to throw him on, he does nothing. And he, he with Rafa and Mitrovic, it, it really is a funny one. Uh, he doesn't not rate him. Let me just say that. He doesn't think Alexander Mitrovic is rubbish. He just doesn't think he brings as much to the team as Hosloo or the goal scoring threat which, which Dwight Gill possesses. So, uh, on Saturday, yeah, I was probably surprised that he, he didn't bring him on as well, but I think by that point the game had gone, hadn't it? Uh, I don't think Alexander Mitrovic is going to come on against Chelsea and, and sort of and change everything. So uh, it is a, a strange situation, the relationship between Rafa, supporters and Mitrovic. I don't think it's got a happy end and I think ultimately it will end with Mitrovic leaving the club, be that in January, if Rafa can bring in a replacement or, or if not, certainly this summer. Do you think from what you've seen or what you've heard, is do Rafa Mitrovic have any kind of relationship? I wouldn't say they haven't got a bad relationship. There's no, there's no hatred there. There's been no fallout. There's been no, no bust up. I just don't think he trusts him as much as he trusts Hosselu to, to run about uh, and win flick-ons. I mean, we're, we're setting the bar pretty low here. <laughs> you know, that is essentially what Hosselu was in the team to do, to occupy defenders and to, to flick the ball on. We've seen that he's, he's not really there to score goals, as he, I think, I've, I've written the paper twice recently that uh, you know five million was supposed to be sort of shopping in the bargain basement. It actually looks as if Newcastle have overpaid uh, five million for for, for Hosselu. Uh, I really think he's been struggling. I think taking him out of the team finally was was long overdue. Uh, he looks short on confidence. He looks uh, he always looks tired for me. He's a player who starts a game and he, he looks knackered almost after after five minutes. I don't think he brings as much as Rafa says he does. Does he bring more than Mitrovic? Well, Rafa thinks he does, and he, you've got to trust that. But Very interesting, Craig. I suppose the same question could apply to the relationship between 
John Joe Shelby and Rafa Benitez. He hasn't started the last two games. It was mm. rubbish against Watford, but so was everybody. Mm. Um, a lot of people were really surprised, really surprised to see Mo Diame mm. selected ahead of John Joe Shelby um, on Saturday. You know, through the week he played Marino and Hayden and kind of as a fan you think, well, you know what, we're trying to be solid West Brom. Mm. Gareth Barry and Jake Livermore, two physical blokes. On Saturday, do you have an insight to why Mo Diame seems to be trusted for these big games? Not yet. It'll be a question we ask Rafa when we see him on, on Friday. Absolutely. I fully expected uh, John Joe to come back in after the influence he had during that final half hour against West Brom where he was picking passes. He was he made such a difference uh, when he came on for me. We said there, Mitrovic made the difference for me. It was Shelby yeah. who came on and, and sort of forced Newcastle forward. Uh, I couldn't believe he didn't start on Saturday. I don't know. Like I said, we haven't seen Rafa since, so there might have been a, a, a niggle there that there might have been illness. We, yeah. we really don't know. Uh, if it was just purely based on selection and, uh, and form, and we've got to take it that it was, uh, then it's, it's, it's a staggering decision, it really is, because Modi Army uh, offers nothing, <laughs> very little. Uh, does he even run about as much as he perhaps used to when he, when he was at Hull? I covered Hull as well, obviously, in that final season. Uh, he was fantastic, he was brilliant in the playoff final. I, I was there that day, and I think Newcastle more or less signed him on the, on the back of that performance, really, with the, uh, with the buyout clause. Uh, but since then, he, he brings very little to the team. He's got no real discipline. Uh, he doesn't use the ball well. Now, John Joe Shelby has got his, uh, his faults, don't get me wrong, but I think in terms of football ability and what he brings to the rest of the team, he would be one of the first names on the team sheet for me. So to see him out of the team against West Brom, I thought, OK, fair enough. Perhaps it's a, it's a kick up the backside after what was a poor performance against Watford. Uh, but I thought he had to restore him on Saturday and we will find out in, in a couple of years' time uh, the reason for that. But f- no, but for me, John Joe Shelby would start every week. It's interesting you say that. I mean, it's kind of... Because we've spoken before, I know that you'd go and you'd ask Rafa that question both on mm. and off the record. Some fans, I suppose, think they're, they're all almost say on social media, why don't you ask this? Why don't you ask that? Is it pretty much you just go into a press conference and you just... Have, have a look what people are interested in and try and put across the questions fans want to hear or is it something that you and your colleagues at the Daily Mail would mm. try and you know more interested in the fan opinion well, to give you a bit of insight what you've got to understand is when I go into working for a Daily Mail a national news based in London with a, a, a London desk and a national audience I'm not necessarily going to, to get in the newspaper on a Saturday from a Friday press conference the reason why Rafa Benitez played Modi Army ahead of John Joe Shelby. I'm not going to. It's a, with all due respect, it's a line for the Journal, for the Chronicle, for the Shields Gazette. I'm interested to know, so perhaps when we're chatting amongst ourselves afterwards off the right order, Rafa, we'll ask him why aren't you playing Shelby? What's he done? What's he done wrong there? Just to sort of to, to build your knowledge really and to, to keep abreast of the, the club that you're covering. Uh, in the actual on the record section of the press conference, to give you an example, last, uh, last Friday ahead of the Chelsea game, we had 10, 12 minutes with Rafa as the, the, the written newspapers on the record. Now, for 10 of those 12 minutes, we talked about Rafa in Chelsea. When he was at Chelsea, why did he leave? The section supporters who turned against him. There's very few questions, actually, about the merits of 4-4-2 versus 4-2-3-1 or John Joe Shelby, Modi Army. That was just the nature of it because we're all fighting as national journalists to get our name in Saturday's paper. Uh, but yes, certainly, you are interested and it's important that you do keep on top of these sort of more localised matters if, if you know what I mean that was just to give you an insight into the the, the way that we, we, we question Rafa uh, afterwards when we're off, off the record invariably that is a time 
when we will go back to, to things such as Mankiel versus uh, Yedlin or, or Lascelles versus Clark, that sort of thing, when, when we will sort of get into the nitty gritty of, of team selection and get Rafa's real thinking, what he won't say on the record, and he'll explain to you why he's picking a, a certain player ahead of another one. So, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he, he does say on Friday with regard to that, because it was certainly a surprise. Do you think that <clears throat> Shelby, obviously there's been talk of England call-ups and England have mm. got massive issues in central midfield, which is... Uh, you know, probably going to affect them next summer as well unless they find another solution. Do you think that Shelby has the trust of Benitez and maybe we talked about Mitrovic when you're saying it's not a, he doesn't trust him as much as he does other players. Mm. Do you think that Shelby has, has got a long-term place in Benitez's plans because there's a little bit of a, you know, people on social media, some stuff being sent to us as a podcast, I suppose not a bad point that he's probably not as good as he thinks he is. John mm. Richard's probably not as good as he thinks he is. He's just going off goals. He doesn't create enough assists. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't really impact the game. I mean, we said it last season when we met Rafa, and he, he didn't mind us telling people that he wanted John Joe Shelby to affect the game higher up the pitch. Yeah. Picking the ball up the centre backs is all well and good, and playing mm-hmm. on the wing, it looks nice, particularly in the second tier. He didn't score many goals, etc. Do you think that? Do you think that Mikel Marino has almost supplanted Shelby in Rafa's plans as the man to build the team round? Rafa really likes Marino, we know that. Uh, I think he probably rates Marino higher than Shelby, but for me, he's got to try and find a way to accommodate both of them in the same team. Now, I said there before that John Joe Shelby for me would be one of the, the first names on the team sheet. I don't think John Joe Shelby is a fantastic player. When you mentioned England there, I think he's a, he's a long way off. I just think, in terms of what Newcastle have and what Newcastle offers, you've got to find a way to, to get the, the most out of Shelby. Uh, the argument we had there was Shelby versus Modi Army. Well, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's no contest, isn't it? So, for me, I would try and find a way to to accommodate Hayden, Shelby, and Marino in the same team. It's not really something which has been tried or really floated so far. Uh, that would also potentially allow for three centre backs as well. So I think when Lascelles is fit, why not play Lascelles, Clark, and Lejeune, or, or any three from Lascelles, Clark, Lejeune, and and Mbemba as well, and drop Richie or into a wing back role or, or have Yedlin on the on the other shall shout that after Saturday drop Richie <laughs> well yeah it's true yeah but just drop Richie altogether after yeah. Saturday but uh, <laughs> but yeah I, I just think that, that he's trying there's this debate you see it on the Chronicle website which two midfielders are we going to play is it going to be Marino and Hayden Diarmi and Hayden Shelby and Hayden whatever it's going to be well why not try to put three of them in there just to give you a little bit more stability in the, the middle of the park why not have Hayden as the holder Shelby in front of him, as 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 Rafa wishes, been a little bit further apart, dictating things from a from a central berth in Marino, as we've seen with Spain under twenty ones. Why not put him even further again, and he's then able to influence the game with little cute passes in around the sort of the final third of the pitch, the way the way Perez should be doing, but isn't really. Uh, now I do think I do think Perez gets a little bit of a, an unfair rap because I think the the work ethic, the the intelligence, the, the, the positional understanding, when he came out of the team, I think you actually saw what he did bring yeah. uh, to a degree. And I couldn't believe that Rafa kept him out of the team for, for as long as he did. Uh, but no, for, for me, I, I would start Shelby. Uh, is he as good as he thinks he is? Well, no, he's not, but that's no bad thing, having that sort of confidence and that, that belief in yourself. There's maybe one or two in the team who, who haven't got that sort of... Uh, that inner confidence so, so no, I, I would certainly start John Joe Shelby and hopefully perhaps try and find a way to accommodate him and Marino in the same team You just sort of touched on it there for a brief second do you think Marino could play in that number 10 position? Yeah, yeah well, well no I don't know we've never seen him there for Newcastle yeah. so if I said do I think could he play well I'm, I'm judging that on, on one or two reports and 
a couple of clips from from YouTube watching them play that in Spain 21s. Uh, I would certainly give it a go if you you, you look at his skill set. He's he's a, he's a tall lad. He's confident. He plays with his head up. He sees what passes around the corner. He's got a good shot on him. Uh, I would certainly give it a go. Why not? We, we touched on it there before. They've got one point out of fifteen now. It's time to to perhaps start trying something different. Do you think that's what we saw on Saturday? No one well. We didn't see that formation change coming when we did the preview podcast for Chelsea. Mm. None of us were saying he's going to match Chelsea's formation with three at the back for the first time in the season. Mm. Do you think it, that is a case? Was it A, just trying to negate Chelsea, or do you think he's now just trying anything to try and get this team some points? I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. Uh, we didn't see it coming in the, the preview with him. Uh, I've, I've never seen him really match up to a team. Rafa yeah. does what he wants to do. And, and, and has his own very game, uh, his own game plan. Uh, it didn't work clearly. It looked as if it worked for twenty minutes, and we thought, "Wow, Rafa's a genius." Quite clearly, is the way the game transpired. It, it didn't work at all. Uh, there is a little bit of and this is what worries me. There seems to be a little bit of desperation creeping in with seems team selections, with formations. It's almost like a roll of the dice, and that isn't Rafa Benitez. Rafa Benitez knows what he is. He knows who he is. He knows what he likes. He knows what he does. There's a, there's a consistency about him, okay, he throws in the odd curveball with, with team selection, but in terms of his game plan, the way he sets up, he trusts himself. For me, the past three or four weeks, it's almost as if he's lost trust in himself a little bit, and that is why I was worried, and that's why that, that Watford performance in particular, and the way they set up for that, really sounded alarm bells for me. It was interesting watching them on uh, Saturday. The thing that came out was either desperation or just a frustration from all of the players. Um, I think Richie giving away that penalty at the end was the best example mm. of that. Like, I don't know what was going through his mind when he kicked uh, kicked out of that player, but like, it was just just seemed like he was just frustrated. Like, why, why is what we're doing not working? Mm. Um, and especially for someone like him, I think. Talk about Richie for a second. I think he's got was it five assists. He's got most assists this season. Mm. Yeah, I don't think he's played that well. That makes sense. Like a lot of the games, he doesn't like he doesn't seem as effective as he was, and obviously he's not going to be as effective as he was in the championship because mm. we're playing against much better players. But I, I pointed out a couple of times though, he had a drop at this exact stage last season. I remember when he scored against Forest, which is pretty much like it was a year. It was this week or next week. Forest mm. last year. I remember when he scored against Forest, it was almost like there's Matt Ritchie. Where's he been for the last six weeks? So. Trying to be ultra positive about it, I just mm. hope he's having another one of those massive dip in forms which he had, rather than not being good enough. But I think some people have said he's looked like the Matt Ritchie that Bournemouth were happy to offload, compared to the. Yeah, he's the one player who Rafa doesn't drop, does he ever? He's the one player who he looks as if it, it, the, the cliche is the first name on the team sheet. Uh, and does he get tired when he does play and he's at it and he's full throttle? He covers an awful lot of ground. You can never accuse him of giving anything less than, than 100%. Perhaps he does get jaded. Perhaps Rafa just needs to, to manage a player like Matt Ritchie better uh, because the, the quality is there. I thought at times in the championship he was he was far and away Newcastle's best player in terms of the difference he made. I'm not sure. You probably don't win promotion without Matt Ritchie. I think more than any player, Dwight Gale, not far behind, he made the, the biggest difference last season. Uh, I wouldn't lose faith in him just yet. I thought on Saturday it was strange. He... he his body seemed to give it one almost. He didn't seem as quick, he didn't seem as sharp. He'd almost lost his head a little bit with his decision making. He just looked like a man who needed to be taken out of the team, be it for, for one game or two game, whether that's a, in terms of a physical rest or a, or a mental kick up the backside. I don't know, but Saturday for me was a performance whereby 
it, it, it was a, in a day really he hit a, an all time low <laughs> that, that uh, the game down at Chelsea Rafa needs to manage that and start getting the best out of him again because he's not a player you write off he's not a player you, you drop and you, you, you say that to he's someone you've got to coax back to form because he's so important to that team Moving on to um, the future I think Benito said in a press conference recently and you'll be able to correct me on this if I'm wrong um, he wasn't aware of how much money he had to spend in January mm. If that's true, then surely we're in a, a very bad place at the moment as a football club. Yeah, he doesn't because that quote was in the context of uh, the uncertainty surrounding the takeover, basically. How much money have you got to spend in January, Rafa? Well, I don't know because I don't know if Mike Ashley's the owner, if Amanda Stevens the owner, or if somebody else is the owner. Uh, how much will he have? Well, he's got a rough idea, and to be honest with you, he has sort of shared this with us off the record what he thinks it will be with Ashley and what he thinks it would be if the takeover goes through, which is looking unlikely. And it's not a it's it, it's not a great deal of difference. I think they they are uh, bound a little bit by FFP. Uh, so a man that's slavery cannot come in and give Rafa a hundred million pounds. That's just not possible. It doesn't work like that. You're probably talking what? If Mike Ashley's there, you've got ten to fifteen million. If it's a man that's slavery, you've got perhaps double that, twenty to twenty-five. Uh, is it enough for me, if, if, and I think Rafa's probably thinking along the same sort of lines, you've got to go out and buy goals. You've got to go out and buy goals, be that a, a, a number 10, a new winger who scores goals or create goals, or, or probably a centre forward. Just throw the lot at someone who's going to come in and make a difference in the final third. I think Rafa is good enough to organise what he's got behind that to make them resolute enough. He just needs, he needs something extra further, further up the field. Uh, Regarding the takeover, uh, which is probably going to be your next question, I'll ask it for you. Where are we on that? Uh, it's just a standoff, basically, between the offer came in, what are we now, Monday night, it was two weeks ago, uh, that the news broke that Amanda Stavey had made an offer uh, short, and it was reported at the time as 300 million. It wasn't 300 million, I can tell you that. It was way short of that. Uh, Mike actually wasn't happy. He didn't like the way the deal was structured, he didn't like the numbers involved, he didn't like the clauses. There was a lot about the deal he didn't like. Now, we didn't reject it per se, he just didn't respond to it, it just wasn't accepted. So it's a case of negotiations are ongoing. And as far as I'm aware, as of, as of sort of yesterday, really, or this morning, the ball is very much back in Amanda Stavely in, in, uh, in her court with PCP. Couple of partners, it's up to them to come back to Mike Ashley with something, what he deems acceptable. Now, is there a clash of personalities here is there a little bit of bad blood's probably the wrong word because they don't know each other well enough but I just think there's a little bit of needle there in terms of how all of this has been played out how the bid was leaked the nature of the of the offer we talked about there the structure of it so all is not as well as it was between the two parties say four or five weeks ago and it was just sort of getting to know you and okay you want to buy my club uh, I want to buy your club you want to sell it let's get together and do this uh, the fact that it's been two weeks without another offer suggests that there is a little bit of a standoff there. The chances of it being done in time for Christmas, I'd say, are almost close to zero now, uh, which then has a massive question mark hanging over the club and uh, the squad and the strength of it going into January and therefore the rest of the season. So, yeah, that is basically where we're at. We're awaiting news of, of another offer. It's very hard to try and second-guess or predict Mike Ashley from a fan's point of view or the easiest way of looking at it the worse we are the harder we are to sell the closer we are to the relegation zone mm. the less the club is worth where do you think 
Mike Ashley stands on that argument. So if we were to be relegated, the, the mm. value of the club halves, if even yeah, more yeah. potentially. So when you, you, know, you say it's an impasse and you say mm. it's, the ball's very much in PCP's court, where does Ashley, in your opinion, come at this like in terms of his willingness to sell the club? Does, does he recognise what I've just said? If it, is it even true that you know a, a quick sale for him because the club is now 15th in the league, five points from mm. the relegation zone, one month, two months' time, that could be completely different, could be four points off 17th place. Do you think he is seeking as quick a sale as PCPR mm. wanting to buy it, or do you think he's playing a long game to try and maximise the value? Well, no, go back to his statement and it answers the question. Mike Ashley wanted the club sold by Christmas, so January wasn't his problem. That's why he didn't want to worry about January. He doesn't want to have to sit down in January and make the calculation of transfer investment versus the possibility of staying up. He doesn't want that. He wants that to be somebody else's problem. That's why he wanted it sold by Christmas. As it turns out, it's a, it's, it's a very real problem for him. It's something he's going to have to consider. Not dissimilar, really, to the scenario we had 12 months ago when he had to weigh up investment versus promotion. Now, he looked at that squad and thought, Rafa's had enough, he's got enough to get them up. Go and do your job, Rafa, you get nothing. As it turns out, Mike Ashley was right. Only just, because there was a little bit of a stutter and it was nervous at times, but Mike Ashley was right. Now, this time, if it doesn't look as though there's going to be a takeover, I think I don't think you can't get away from the fact that that team, that squad needs investment if it's to survive and if it's to pr- protect the, the cash cow, which is Premier League football, basically. So, so yeah, it's a decision he didn't want to make. It's probably one he will have to make. And I think he will give Rafa money, be that 10, 15, 20 million pounds. He's got to. Do you think the takeovers or speculation is something that's affected the players at all? Because it was around the Bournemouth game, I think, where it really started to intensify quite a lot. Mm. It sort of dragged on a bit, and I think everyone was really optimistic for a bit. Now everyone's sort of getting a bit more pessimistic about it, haven't you? Yeah, uh, I, I don't think so. I think it's just uh, players who aren't aren't very good is too strong. Yeah. But players who aren't brilliant, it's just catching up with them. That's all it is. I don't think the takeover really has had had an effect on it. No, I don't. I think what we're seeing now from uh, from this squad on the pitch is probably everything we feared at the start of the season. After the Huddersfield game, remember in particular, uh, the, the the performance away there was awful, and I think that's pretty much what we're seeing now. You've got this this uh, sort of mirage in the, the the those three or four games where they won and they climbed to sixth, and uh, that was really for me a deviation from the norm. That was uh, overachieving massively, and that was down to to Rafa's organisation. It was down to a little bit of luck. It was down to one or two little moments of inspiration. This probably. Is a true reflection of, of where they are. I don't think takeover talk has really got too much to do with it. It's just it's a, an average, below average Premier League squad which is struggling, and that's probably what we thought they would be. Do you think Rafa is um, clued up in terms of negotiations? Has he kept up the date by either side of what's going on as he is in the dog as much as the rest of us? No, I think he knows. I do think he knows. There's been one or two times when we've been sat with Rafa and he said to us, Guys, what do you know? What do you know? <laughs> and we thought, Yeah, pull the other one, Rafa. He, know, he knows. <laughs> He knows as much as we do, if not more, uh, definitely. Yeah. There's, there's people close to Rafa and around about Rafa who've played a, a key part in getting Amanda Stavely sort of to the club. Rafa had the meeting with her in the, the manager's office after uh, the Liverpool game a couple of months ago. So, no, Rafa knows, uh, which is why it's quite telling that Rafa seems less confident if it going through, certainly in time for Christmas anyway. Uh, long term, will it go through? I think everyone 
remains confident that yes, it will do. I think there's, there definitely is a willingness from Steve Lee uh, in the group to buy. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not frauds. I think they do want to buy the football club. I just think they want to get whatever deal is, is best for them. And Mike Ashley, we know, wants to sell it. So if you're asking me, will it be sold? I would say yes. Uh, fingers crossed, let's hope it does, because it, it needs to be, it really does need to move on. Uh, it just won't be done for Christmas. What's been interesting for me is the Amanda Stabley is obviously this key figurehead photogenic person that mm. who can be linked to the deal in social media. You know, type in NUFC on Twitter and her picture will come up. But as, a, as fans, we know very little about mm. who's actually buying the club, about who she represents, how much control is she going to have. Obviously, mm. there's been reports and stuff. I'm going to ask you, to, if you know, great, you can tell us or guess. What are, the, what are the plans for these people? What do these people want to do with Newcastle United and why do they want to buy Newcastle? No, we don't know. Don't we know. really don't know. Uh, we know that uh, she will be installed as a sort of a figurehead on a day-to-day basis, uh, the new sort of chairwoman owner slash type. But no, we don't know where the money's coming from. I mean, we've heard, I'm not going to say it sort of on the record because uh, we've heard rumours of it being from, from this person or from that person or from this country or that country. Uh, the truth is, no, we don't know. Uh, we don't know what the plans are, whether they want to, to throw millions of pounds at it and compete with the top six or if they just want to keep it ticking over like Mike Ashley did. Listen, it could be worse than Mike Ashley. Yeah. You know, don't, don't, don't forget that. They could, they could want to come in and, and run the club on a shoestring and take out every penny you get from, from TV money and all the rest of it and, and run it as a business. It is an investment fund after all and investment funds by their very nature put money in to, to take money out and make a profit at the end of the day. So. So no, to answer your question, no, we don't know. We don't know until a takeover is completed and we, we sit down with with a man, the Stavia, whoever it may be, and we get their intentions on the record. And do you think that do you think that Rafa is? You said that you spoke to her in his office. He obviously is it very much a case of he wants the sale to go through, even though he's a little bit in the dark, just because anything's got to be better than working on the Magashi. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think he realizes that. Uh, the constraints under Mike Ashley, it, it, it's not going to work for Rafa. If Mike Ashley remains in charge, I think the clock will be ticking on, on Rafa's state at the club, I really do. I think uh, there's too much has gone on there now. January was a disaster. Uh, the final few weeks of the summer window, they didn't sign a player during the final fortnight of the, of the transfer window, which if you'd said that to us in the middle of August would have been unthinkable really, the things Rafa uh, was saying to us at the time. So. Uh, yeah, I think for Rafa to stay long term, I think there's got to be a change of ownership. Uh, is there a relationship there between Ashley and Rafa at the minute, or is it just no, no, no there's not. Uh, no, definitely not. Uh, they very rarely, if at all, talk. Everything is done through Lee Charney. Uh, there's annoyance from Rafa towards Ashley. There's annoyance from Ashley towards Rafa over the way he sort of conducted a lot of his politics via, via us guys uh, do you have any pressure put on you at all by Ashley's people no no, no not at all no so that's one that's just a rumour that's a, mm. you know that Keith Bishop turned up at press conference again this is rumours I'm not there you're yeah, there yeah. you can tell but um, no Keith Bishop turns up yeah he's, he's been there he hasn't been there the past uh, few weeks uh, he's been there before I've, I've had a drink with Keith socially there's no pressure there there's no you can make this you can't make that he's very much there just as Mike Ashley's eyes and ears, really. Uh, no, there's, there's, there's nothing, perhaps his presence curtails Rafa to, to a degree. I, I don't know, maybe he's, maybe he's when he's there, he realises that's a, a direct line back to Mike, so Rafa isn't as political as he, as he sometimes can be. Uh, but no, listen, Rafa's his own man at the end of the day. Keith Bishop, I know Keith Bishop, 
Rafa knows how he wants to play his things. He, he, he he's a bright man. He's a smart man. We touched on it earlier, didn't we? That, that I trust him as a manager. I like him as a person. I can see why players do. I can see why why supporters do. So, so no, Rafa isn't going to be influenced too much by that. And what you've got to remember is a lot of what Rafa has done and said through the press and in press conferences, on the record, off the record, whatever. Would have had previous managers sacked. Mike actually hasn't done this that this time because I think he realises the value of having someone as big and as competent as Rafa Benitez at the, the head of your football club. Very interesting. And I suppose the, as we look ahead to the Christmas period in January, you know, you said there maybe a figure of about 10 to 15 million quid. Obviously, you look at Palace in the relegation zone. Who else is in there? Swansea. West Ham. West Ham. You've got to think that probably outspend Newcastle. Mm. I'd prob- probably I don't know that but you're going to imagine that they, they haven't been relegated recently they'll know as much as anyone mm. the, the value of still in the Premier League how does Rafa keep our heads above water do you think what does he have to do I mean you talked about keeping faith in his methods and mm. the players and it's it's kind of been worrying that since Christianatsu and Lascelles have dropped out mm. of the team we've dropped points is it very much a case of we're going to be it's going to take a little bit of luck to keep us up or do you think that Rafa's going to find a way whatever happens no I will take look absolutely that 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 squad, even when the Sellers and Atu come back, isn't good enough to say, right, everything's okay now, brilliant, back to what it was, they go on another win and run again. That just won't happen. Uh, he needs to buy goals in January, he needs to sort of, to, to get back to whatever was working at the start of the season, he needs to rediscover that, that faith in his own method. At, at, the moment, it, at the moment, it all just seems a little bit higgledy-piggledy. He's trying 4-4-2, he's trying 3-4-3, he's trying 4-2-3-1, he's trying Diarm, he's trying Marino, he's trying Aiden. Just get back to what was so horrible about you at the start of the season. Get back to what was so ugly and bloody awful to watch, but was working. Listen, I'll, I'll take an hour of, of, of rubbish, of, of ugliness, if you then go and win 1-0. What I don't like is the, the Bournemouths, the Watford games. It was just all over the place, and it wasn't what Rafa stands for. It's not what he's about. So, so one, Rafa needs to, to rediscover what is best and what makes him a brilliant coach. Uh, two, absolutely, you need the likes of Atsu and Lascelles back. A year ago, I never thought we'd, we'd be saying this about Jamal Lascelles, but he actually does make a difference. I think there's a little bit of a, a confidence in an aura about him, which others in the team necessarily haven't got. Uh, he's another one who thinks he's a better player than he perhaps is, but as I said earlier, that's not necessarily a bad thing in a team which hasn't really got uh, a great deal of belief and character and in, in all the rest of it, those real sort of extrovert, larger-than-life uh, players, which Lascelles has got that, that strut about him really and that can in turn uh, feed with the players so I think getting Lascelles back is important uh, Atsu as well was certainly playing well enough wasn't he he, 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 he was doing okay he was doing uh, doing more than, than Murphy has for me uh, do you think Murphy was a mistake or do you think it's too early to tell because such a big listen, percentage was, of our budget went on him well you've took the words out of your mouth was he a mistake long term is Jacob Murphy a bad player we don't know we really don't know so I'm not going to say that was a mistake was he a mistake in the context of the season and the money Rafa had yes he's got to be because £12 million spent on a guy who was only coming to the team by virtue of injury to a £5 million signing and was keeping out of the team well yeah that's a mistake because Rafa wasn't in a position to spend £12 million to build for the future he had to spend £12 million on now as a result of putting that money into Jacob Murphy, he had to go and sign Hostel for £5 million. Well, why not put the, t- the two together and spend 17 or, or 18 on a centre-forward and put, and put goals into your team? Uh, so listen, Jacob Murphy might one day be a great player for Newcastle United. Let's hope he is. Uh, for now, I think the signing was a mistake. I think he's coming to the team and 
Although he's done, I don't know what you guys think. I'd be interested to get your thoughts actually because he just he doesn't look strong enough. He doesn't think he's got enough belief in himself. He doesn't look necessarily quick enough, or that there's just something lacking in his conviction. And he hasn't played badly. Don't we? Hasn't played badly, but I just don't think the team looks as rigid and as structured with him in it. But what do you guys think? From what I saw of him at Norwich and playing within the 21s, he would just run at players and there was just loads of belief. He was fast, he'd go and try and get a shot off. When I've seen him play for us, he, so he sort of starts to run at someone and then I'll check back mm. or like his shot's going astray and he just looks devastated at it as well. I think he hit the nail on the head, he just lacks, lacks confidence at the moment. Yeah, confidence. I think I wrote the other day, he lacks confidence, he lacks conviction. Uh, he'll get into the final third and it'll be a... Sort of speculative cross or speculative shot, there's no real belief in him himself there to go and score a goal or, or create a goal. It's coming at quite a tough time for the team overall as well, which I don't think has helped. And I, I was a bit confused why we didn't see him for like 10 minute spells when we were doing all right. Really. Mm. I don't think he came on that much. Um, I think he's the antithesis of Mark Ritchie. Mark mm. Ritchie's been playing badly, but getting results to assists against Watford. Yeah. We, we, we need the Mark Ritchie, like we talked about earlier, we need the Mark Ritchie kind of product end product compared to the flashes of Jacob Murphy and it's mm. um, it's worrying that he's, he's listen he's, like you say he's doing the right thing at Old Trafford when we're 1-0 up he, he has a great chance that he fashions himself mm. and that goes wide and he was alright in the second half but we're not a good enough team to accommodate to accommodate yeah. players being alright in the second half we need yeah, yeah. players to be making an impact and Newcastle yeah, fans are a tough tough audience to put yourself out in front of as well and it's not going well and I don't think that's helped but he's the total opposite of this is a guy we haven't seen enough of in my opinion Rolando Ahrens he just yeah. seems totally fearless mm. every time he plays Newcastle he just he'll go out people and he'll, he'll try things he doesn't get his head down yeah um, it's curious he started against Fulham in the championship but ever since he's been fit Rafa doesn't seem to fancy him too much I yeah I don't understand why that is I think it's a sort of, I think with Rolando it's a tactical discipline side of things it's an understanding of the game Rolando is very much an individual it's a, it's a great point you make that Rolando doesn't want for belief or confidence. He thinks he's the best player in the world, but that's not, I've said this three times now, but it's not a bad thing. I, I agree with you. I would play Rolando uh, ahead of Jacob Murphy. I just think it gives you that jack-in-the-box, something something different, something unpredictable, which which this team in the final third needs. Jacob Murphy just sort of conforms to the... He gets so far, he checks back and give it to somebody else. There's no... Hosselu as well. Hosselu's almost scared to shoot uh, on, on, on current form, really. Whereas Rolando Aarons will try something different. I probably would play him ahead of Murphy, absolutely. I think that just about does it as the large party coming behind that. <laughs> so, Craig, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Cheers, guys. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.